0: stuff
1: morning church family I'm here to give a testimony about um, a name that I have written on the floor in the sanctuary um, after a remodel where I'm sorry after a remodel uh, pastor Raymond gave us the opportunity to write a name of someone we are praying for for salvation and and underneath where I said I don't know if you guys do this but I tend to sit in the same place no matter what auditorium I'm, I'm in so over in the sanctuary underneath where we typically sit is the name of Robert Conrad Metzger, and that's my stepdad. And I've been praying for him over 35 years. Um, and, and it's awesome to see the way God can give you a new heart because he's responsible, partially responsible, for my parents getting a divorce. But he's who I'm praying for and have been praying for for, for over 35 years. And I, I've as I was reading my... So I was looking through the Old Testament, I see men making... Uh, testimonies or or Ebenezers as as they are sometimes called uh, is a way to help us remember to do something because I I'm sure you guys are like me is that I make good intentions to pray for folks but I often forget and so every Sunday when I'm sitting in in the sanctuary I'm reminded that underneath my feet is the name of the man I want to see more than anyone else come to the Lord so I would encourage you as this opportunity arises again Take advantage of it. And, and I look to give you a testimony again when he comes to the Lord because I'm, I believe God will do this. So, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that, uh, Lord, that you you know we're, we're frail. We're made of dust, Lord, Father, and that we need all the help we can get. So, Father, I'm thankful that you give us reminders, Lord, that, that your desire is that none should perish, Lord, but that all come to repentance and know you. So, Father, I I do lift up this opportunity for each of us to um, make a remembrance, Lord, that will encourage us to pray and to seek you. And, Father, I also ask for for my stepdad, Lord, that you would, Father, just break through the spiritual darkness, Lord, and, and save him, Father, in Jesus' name.
0: unlike you. May Jesus be magnified here this morning. As we focus our minds' attention and our hearts' affection on you, and as your word is preached, may we listen and respond out of obedience to the only one who can save everyone. Thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: are you doing? I'm glad. I'm not doing so well. And I think it reminds me of the importance of our worship because we never know what is going to happen in life. To be prepared for all things in life. We were celebrating a great milestone in our son's life yesterday when we got information from our daughter that a dear friend of theirs whose child was born during the beginning of COVID for 16 months had been protected and cared for. And yesterday afternoon, that little 16 month old child died in a car accident. And it, it is just, it's been difficult. We grieve for that family. And I want you to pray for the Doyles. He's a pastor in Georgia. Trying to figure out how to make sense out of life. In the midst of something like this. It reminds us of the brevity of life. The frailty of life. And the urgency of all of us to be where we need to be with the Lord. And I want to challenge us even as a congregation to... Take seriously what we've been given, what we've been called to as as believers. The greatest introduction that we can ever give to anybody is an introduction, or the greatest gift we can ever give to anybody is an introduction to Jesus Christ. There's no greater gift that you can give to anyone. To let them know who Jesus Christ is and how he can change their life. And as David was saying, uh, at the end of the service, you will have the opportunity to go over into the sanctuary and take a marker and write their name on the floor. Now, for some of you kids, this is a great opportunity because you normally don't get to mark on the floor at church. But it's where the carpet's going to go, so nobody's going to see it. Only you will know. Who's that person that you're praying for that their eternity would be changed? And not just for eternity, but for, for now. For them to experience Christ, the hope of life and death, even now. I hope that you'll go over there, and as you go over there, maybe the two questions that Robbie Gallaty gives us about discipleship should should press all of us, because he says there's two questions for all of us as believers to ask every single week. Did you share the gospel with someone this week? Question number one. Question number two, did you even try? It's that important for us to feel the urgency of sharing the gospel with other people. I want to affirm you as a church family, you have been doing that in a really special way. We've had over 430 personnel from the medical community to stop by Bruno's for a free meal that you are providing uh, for them. And each person that comes there gets a card uh, that looks like this that thanks them. For are standing on the front lines in the midst of this pandemic. And then it also on the back shares how they can know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I want to invite you to go to the back of the, the room, maybe even during the service. Just pray over the cards. You'll see a stack of them back there. It says, dear health dear care provider, just pray. Thank God for who they are, what they are doing. And then if they don't yet know Christ, that they will come to know him as Lord and Savior. And... um. So, let's pray together again. Uh, Warren did such a great job of leading us, but uh, let's pray one more time. God, as we come to consider your word and what it might say to us today, give us a sense of expectancy, we pray, and a sense of urgency. Lord, we know that through the pandemic, complacency has become the norm on so many levels. I pray that you would help us as believers, as followers of Christ, and maybe some that are gathered with us today that are not yet followers. For us to sense how important it is to know you as Lord and Savior. To know that that changes everything. It empowers us to live the life that you have intended for us during this brief span of time that we have on earth. It empowers us to go through the valley of the shadow of death when our hearts are breaking. It gives us hope Hope eternal. We do pray for the Doyle family and all those that surround them. You tell us in your word that you are the God of all comfort and you can comfort us in any situation. Sometimes we wonder, but Lord, we know that you can. Help us as followers to believe that this hope is so significant that we would intentionally, every single week, Share it as often as we can. So please guide us during this time to learn lessons from the life of Peter that will help us to walk with power, to walk under the power of your love so that we will not only know the difference in our life, but we would be the difference in someone else's life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. One last message. Students, Be sure and be at Top Golf at 5 o'clock today and bring a friend. Had it on my notes. We didn't get it in the bullets and my fault. Make sure you're there as our students. We're going to have a a good time. Learning from a saint. As we come to John chapter 18, verses 12 through 27, we we see that very familiar passage of Scripture, though it is a little bit different than what we see in the other gospels about the denials of Peter. I want to show you a picture of this church. I think we have it on our slides here. And this is the the church of St. Peter at Galicantu. It's in Jerusalem. And if you were able to look real closely at that particular church, you would find that up on the steeple in the back, there is a golden rooster. It was built on the site believed to be where Peter would have denied the Lord, also known as Caiaphas' palace, where Jesus was taken when he was arrested. In Latin, Gallicantu means cock's crow. It was built originally in 8457, destroyed by the Muslims in the year 1010, and then it was rebuilt again a century later. With the fall of Jerusalem, it was again, fell into disrepair and ruin, and it was rebuilt in 1931. The golden rooster sits prominently at the top of the sanctuary to connect us with what happened there biblically 2,000 years ago. The scene that we're about to unfold in John chapter 18 is a stark contrast of God and us, of perfection and sinfulness. Let's read together just some of the cliff notes of what takes place there. Jesus has been taken to the house of Annas and then over to Caiaphas. And it says that Simon Peter was there following with another disciple, who we'll find out is John, because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back and spoke to the servant girl who was on duty there and brought Peter in. The reason that John probably would have been known is because of his family status either the social status, their wealth, or the fact that they were connected by their lineage to the priesthood. And so John is clearly known, and this is important to know, John is clearly known as a disciple of Jesus when he's standing with Peter, when Peter denies the Lord. The servant girl in verse 17 says, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? And Peter replied, I am not. It says in verse 18 that it was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire that they had made to keep warm. Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. The next few verses, kind of as John paints the picture together, takes us back into the, to the house in which Jesus' trial is beginning, and then he cycles back in verse 25 to what's going on on the outside with Peter says, meanwhile, while the trial is going on in verse 25, that Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. And so they asked him, those who were standing around the fire, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? And Peter denied it by saying, I am not. Then one of the high priest's servants, who was a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. As we look at this passage of Scripture, I I think it's helpful for us as Christians, and I pray that all of you are, and if you're not yet a Christian, we're so glad that you're here, and we pray that what you experience here would lead you into a journey of coming to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Warning lights to watch. What are the lessons that we can learn from this saint, Peter? Peter redeems himself. He repents of this situation, but there is so much that we can learn from this experience in Peter's life, and one of those is to pay attention to the warning lights, to watch the warning lights of our lives. Have any of you ever continued to drive a car when the warning light was on? Yeah, my wife's one of them. It's kind of like, okay, when I get home, I'll, I'll let him know about it. Warning lights are significant because they're reminding us of a danger point. And as we look at the life of Peter, we're gonna see some flashpoints of danger that all of us would be wise to beware of. The first is overconfidence. We go back several chapters to John chapter 13, and we find that Jesus is talking to his disciples and saying that someone's gonna betray, and, 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 and Peter stands up and says, I don't know about the other guys. But as for me, I'll go with you to the very end, if necessary, overconfidence. Overconfidence tends to work its way into our lives when we do comparisons. Because in comparisons, we usually compare ourselves to the worst. Think about your yard for just a moment. If you're mowing your yard and your neighbor hasn't mowed your yard, when you finish mowing your yard, what do you think? What a cruddy neighbor. I have such a beautiful yard. But what happens if your neighbor mows his yard first? Then you look at your yard and it's like, not so good. And so when we're comparing, we're usually comparing ourselves after we've mowed our yard, and we look at other people, and we think, I would never do that. And that's what Peter said. This is earlier in the very same evening. It's been we've been in this this portion of scripture for months now. Some of you are saying, I know but what we're talking about literally happened just hours before. And so Peter has spoken with great confidence that he would never deny the Lord. Just a few hours early, he had taken a sword to demonstrate his loyalty to Jesus, and now we find him denying the Lord. I was going through Barnes and Noble, and I stumbled through the bestseller list, and I found a best-selling book by the title A Word from Lou, a guy by the name of Lou Schofield. Don't know if any of you have heard of him or not. But on page 142, this scholar of an author referenced a study showing that people most sure of their own opinion are often the most ignorant. Then he also asserted that if we knew half of what we think we know, we'd be brilliant. That's wise counsel. Paul would write about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. He would say to those young Christians, and they were young, he was saying, there's going to be times in which you feel real confident in your faith, and we're going to celebrate that, but be careful. God doesn't want us to always feel unconfident. He just doesn't want us to be cocksure. It's as if you are standing firm, be careful because you could fall. And Peter would say the same thing to us. Ken Burns has just released an eight-hour documentary on Muhammad Ali this past month. 50 years ago, Ali fought Joe Frazier in what was called the fight of the century on March the 8th, 1971, Madison Square Garden. It pitted together two undefeated boxers known as the best in the world his wife, Muhammad Ali's wife, went to the fight dressed completely in black. She was questioned about her attire by her husband. She said, I knew he was going to lose. She went on to explain to her husband, let me tell you something. You have not been training the way you're supposed to train. And you know what? What? It's time for you to lose, so I'm just going to sit back and watch. Great support from a wife. <laughs> Many of you will recall through history the, the match went 15 rounds. Frazier knocked Ali down to the canvas, yet he stood up, but the three judges scored Frazier as a unanimous winner. Afterwards, Ali laughed about what his wife had said and called her the crystal ball. She explained to him, I'm telling you, there's going to be a fight that's more important than this one, and if you act like this then, then you will lose the big one. I think Peter would say the same thing. If we're not careful, we'll end up losing the big one. That got all his attention and redirected his focus, and I pray that these words from John chapter 18 gets our attention and maybe redirects our focus. Another warning light to watch is that of detachment. Look at verse 17. So Peter had this great confidence and just hours later proved to be that he wasn't all that he thought he was. Then we see the second warning light of detachment in verse 18. Excuse me, verse 17. The servant girl asked, and it's important for us to know that the first two denials that Peter has were really softballs that were lobbed to him. They're asked in a rhetorical way in the original language to expect a negative answer. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, like John, are you? And Peter replied, I am not. As you look at your Bible right now, do you see anything unusual about that phrase? I am not. What do you see there? Jesus identified himself with great power and authority in verses 5 and 8 as, I am. And Peter identifies himself with great weakness by saying, I am not. It is a detachment from the Lord. When we remove ourselves from the very presence, of Jesus Christ, that intimacy that we share with him, when we move back from that, we position ourselves for great failure. Charlie Brown was commiserating to Linus, and he said, you know what really depresses me? He says, I've played sports my whole life, lots of sports, and never once have I been double teamed. You ever feel that way? There was never justification to double team you, Friends, I want to tell you, you are being double teamed by the forces of evil. And there is tremendous desire to see you fail. We don't really deny Peter or deny Jesus just like Peter did. But we can detach ourselves from the Lord by denying his words power in our life, in which we kind of shelve it to the side we depend upon what we've read in previous years in previous stages of life we deny him by giving him full access to our life we may kneel and pray and say Lord Jesus guide me in these areas of my life but not this we deny him when we don't take full advantage of the relationship that we share to know him to know him in all of his fullness Paul would say, I would give up everything to have fragmentary knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Friends, if you're walking at a little bit of a distance from God, be careful. I would encourage you to draw into his presence and to celebrate the fact that he has invited you to walk closely with him and not at a distance. So we see two warning lights thus far, this overconfidence in Peter's life and his detachment Jesus says, I am, and Peter says, I am not. And then we see this idea of isolation. Look at verse 18. It says, it was cold, and the servants and the officials, these are all the enemies of Jesus, they were standing around a fire they had made to keep warm, and Peter also was standing with them. Peter had detached himself from Jesus by denying any knowledge of him, and now he was physically, geographically removing himself from the presence of Jesus into the very enemies of Christ. He's standing around a fire that was built by the enemies of Christ. Have you ever done that? Have you ever pulled up something on your phone that you know is an enemy of the Lord, yet you warm yourself from it? which we move into the presence of someone that we know is not going to move us in the direction of the Lord and we get too close to the fire and we get burned and here is Peter in the firelight and we can only imagine how similar it looked to the torches and the lanterns out in the garden he's living in the shadows are any of you living in the shadows right now in isolation You're in a room full of people, but is your life more about isolation? That's a dangerous place to be. The reason reason that Peter stood by the fire is because he thought he would be less conspicuous being by the fire around Jesus' enemies than standing alone over in the courtyard. The truth is, he was doing the exact same thing as Judas. He was standing with Jesus' enemies. The people in our life may not be obvious enemies of Christ but are they moving you towards Christ it's been well said show me your five closest friends and I'll show you your future who are you running with George Washington this was Ward can you hear me today a little bit I'll just tell you this parenthetically Ward's asleep right now but um, I'll tell you this parenthetically Ward Ned and Earl told me that they come to church they cannot hear in here because of the sound. It's loud enough, but it's not distinct enough. So they can't hear. And they said we could very easily stay home and understand you, but we need to be with our church. So thank you for being here. Thank you for modeling for us what it means. Ward is a wealth of information, and he was sending me uh, some stuff later uh, recently. George Washington, Washington said, it's better to be alone than to be in bad company. Peter found himself in both categories, just like us. Sometimes being alone is being in bad company. That's not to say that it's bad to be alone, but if we're not careful, if we spend too much time by ourselves and not investing in other people, we become self-conscious and we become self-absorbed. Peter was both. He was very self-conscious, and he was very self-absorbed. And when it comes to church, when we isolate ourselves from church family, something begins to happen. We begin to think, they don't need me, and they don't want me. That's why I seldom ever miss two Sundays in a row, you'll come to realize you don't need me, and I'll start to feel like you don't want me. Happens to all of us. If it'll happen to the pastor, you can guarantee it can happen to any of us in the church. I see it all the time. People take a brief pass, and before they know it, they've taken a permanent pass. COVID is having a pruning effect upon churches. There are those who have legitimate concerns about the virus, and they are taking necessary precautions, and I affirm that. You need to do what you sense is best for you, not to do anything dangerous. But in the midst of this pandemic, some have come to the conclusion that they don't need the church because their life isn't any different than when they attended church before the pandemic. Here's what happens. If we approach church with the idea that it is a place where we primarily get something, we will never leave satisfied. But if we view the church as a place to primarily give, then we will seldom leave empty. And so the question is, have we isolated ourselves with the thought, with the mindset The church is a place that you go to get. I'm not getting, so therefore, I will further remove myself, and that's exactly playing in to the hand of Satan. These first two denials, it was a setup. Satan made it easy. It was harder to say, no, I am his disciple. The way the questions were phrased, it was easier to say, no, I am not. The Christian life, church experience with other believers. It's much like priming a pump. Some of you have never had this experience in your life, so you just have to Google it or watch it on YouTube. But if you go to a pump out in the country that hasn't been leveraged for a while, hasn't been used for a while, you oftentimes find some kind of container that says, pour this in first to prime the pump. A reminder on some will say, if you don't do this, you'll not get anything out of this pump But if you will pour in just this little, you will get all you need. That's the way the Christian life works. When we pour in and we prime the pump, then there's more than enough to satisfy us. Again, one of Ward's clippings that he sent me, Robert Louis Stevenson, the novelist, said, Don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seed you plant. Don't isolate yourself. Stay in community with other believers. People will say, well, I don't like some of them. That's the point. Isn't it interesting that God has placed us in unique situations where because of relationships, it causes us to grow in patience, to grow in gentleness, to grow in love, to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. And then this fourth and final warning light for us to watch in the life of Peter is that of short-sightedness. Look at verses 25 through 27. Meanwhile, while the trial is going on inside, Peter, standing there warming himself, was asked again, you aren't one of his disciples, easy to say. And he says, I am not. And I wonder if there's any hesitance in those three words. I am not. One of the high priest's servants, who was a relative, man, he's really got himself in a bind now. One of the relatives of Malchus, whose ear got lopped off in the garden, Kind of takes note of him. And and it says he challenged him. Hey, didn't I see you in the garden? You're the guy. And it says again, again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Proving that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. What we're seeing here is what Jesus said coming to fruition. Everything he said is happening just as he said before time. None of us can do that. We can't make predictions like that. The sovereignty of God being revealed here. Peter is really feeling the stress because now he's being accused of a crime. He could be taken to court for an assault. Very unsettling. And the very loyalty that Peter promised back in John 13, he's denying The one thing that demonstrated his loyalty when he took a a sword and he cut off Malchus' ear, the very thing that demonstrated he really was loyal, he's now denying that as well. Why? Because fear of the moment overrode his view of Jesus' eternal kingdom. You know, Isaiah 8.13 is one of those passages of Scripture that I like to refer to even in my own life. Because it says, if you fear God, you don't need to fear anything else. The transverse of that is, if you don't fear God, you need to fear everything. God is all we need to fear. Friends, regrets can happen in a moment. They can happen so quickly. And our denials are usually worse than if we had just stayed the course. Let me tell you an example from... From back in junior high. It shows you how far along, how many years ago that was because it used to be called junior high. And I went to school with a shirt that on the back said, Jesus the Liberator, and had a picture of what some would say would be Jesus' face. And I remember somebody questioning me about the shirt. If you're awake, if you're, I mean, if you're awake, yeah, that might be, if you're asleep, wake up. (laughs) Maybe I'm asleep, I don't know. But I was wearing the shirt that said, Jesus the Liberator. When someone questioned me about the shirt, I said, it's my sister's shirt. As if somehow that let me off the hook. But if you, that's what happens in junior high, you do things like that. But you think for a moment, it's like, man, you should have gone with the Jesus the Liberator, then you're wearing your sister's shirt to school. When we deny the Lord, sometimes we think they were paving an easier path, but were only making things worse. Dr. Albert Reyes, a friend who is the CEO and president of Buckner International, a guy I went to school with, I wish I could have learned more from, talks about being over in London. He says in 1968, they coined a phrase called, mind the gap. It's for London's rail system there. Back then, the train and the platform were further separated, so you could literally fall between the train and the platform and modern technology and innovations and stuff. It's a much, much smaller gap, but you could still hurt yourself significantly. And so they use this phrase, and they have for all these years, mind the gap. Don't get so lost in where you're going that you don't pay attention to the danger right below you, right in front of you. Peter is saying, mind the gap. Mind the gap of what could happen if you don't pay attention attention. This last week, I was listening to Ken Davis on the radio, and if you've never listened to Ken, he's a, he's a comedian, and uh, he has some irreverent things to say, but I always, I always find a little bit of a smile on my face after I've heard him, and he was talking about an experience in which he was relating a story in which, and some of us older men have done this when you are riding down the road when your kids are young, and they're not behaving the way, and that doesn't happen anymore now. All you do is just turn off the DVD, but back in the day, Kids would be in the back, and they'd be causing trouble, and so you'd, you'd reach back to kind of bring some course correction back there. And kids have an incredible ability to find the corner where your hand won't reach, right? Any dads can attest to this from way back? Of course, you'd never want to say that now because you get arrested, but anyway, you'd re- be reaching back there, and he's telling a story about that situation. And after he told that, in one of the venues, a guy came up to him afterwards, an old guy. and He said, I want to talk to you about what you were saying about reaching in the back. He said, man, I just knew this guy was going to waylay me and talk about disciplining kids and all that. And he says, I just wanted to tell you, if you'll tap on the brake, they'll come right back into play. (laughs) (laughs) Some of you feel like you're out of play. And Peter is saying, man, let's tap on the brake. Let's bring you back into play. Go back to that church. Gallicantu. It's an interesting name, isn't it? Gallicantu. I like the way it says Cantu. You know why that church was built? Has a rooster on top. Looks like, man, this is a forever icon to say what a failure Peter was, but you know why that church was built? To commemorate his repentance. The fact that he turned back. And we. Can too. And what Peter is saying to us is, follow the words that he would write even in in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. He says, as we know Jesus better, his divine power gives us everything we need for living a godly life. You can almost feel the words of regret. If I had known Jesus better and realized that I had everything I needed in that moment, I wouldn't have denied him. You know, we have these church cards that I hope that you will take advantage of that talk about what it means to be a member of Westgate, purposes of our church. You know, the sad thing is so many people missed on the Sunday that I spoke on it, they they don't even know. But I hope you'll pick one up. They're back in the back. And it just talks about things, but the most important on here is keeping Jesus Christ in the very center of our lives and dying to self. There are two crosses. Don't forget that. The cross that Christ died on and the cross that we are called to die on in dying to ourselves. You know, I have a, just a burden in my heart this morning as we conclude this time in just a moment to invite any of you that are a part of this church family, this fellowship, to just come to the front. If you feel like the wood in your spiritual life is wet and you want somebody to pray over you, we're going to just pray for you as a church family. Don't feel like you have to come, but I pray that you won't just sit there feeling like you want to come, but you wonder what they will think. If you feel like the wood in your spiritual life is wet, and maybe you've grown a little detached or isolated, and you want the brakes to just get tapped and bring you back in, just come to the front in a moment. We want to pray over you as we're singing this last song. And then for those of you that are guests, friends, maybe regular attenders that have never received Christ, I want to tell you again, the greatest news of all. If I could introduce you to Christ, and I got to say, I just grieve. I grieve over yesterday, a chance that I had to share the gospel, and I just did such a poor job. I want us to get this right as a church. God loves us. God loves all the people around us. He loves our neighbors. He he loves the people that we work with. He loves the people that we don't like. God loves us, and he's created us to have a relationship with him, but that can never happen on our own merits. Our sin has separated us from ever having a relationship with Christ. And so we have to repent of our sins. We can't enter into this equation with confidence that, that we're okay. We're not. We need desperately for Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and make us right with God. And that begins by us humbly repenting of our sins and saying, God, I give everything that I have to you, everything, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. So if you want to pray to receive Christ now, it is the beginning point. If somehow in this pandemic I have made it like this is the end point of where we are as a church, it is not. Receiving Christ is the beginning point. Becoming a disciple that follows after Christ, and there's so much more that comes after that. But it is a starting point. And if you've never received Christ, I would invite you to join me in a prayer as we pray together. God, thank you for the words that we see from your word warning lights, lessons that we can learn from a saint who, even though he stumbled, He got it right, and you used him in a mighty way. Lord, if we need to have the brakes tapped in our lives to bring us back into play, may that happen today. For any friends that are here in this room or listening online that have never received Christ, I pray today would be that moment which they would recognize their desperate need for you, and they would pray, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins. And become the Lord and Savior, the glorious Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have. And I promise I will faithfully follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. God, we pray that someone just took that first step on the marvelous journey of knowing you as the Lord and Savior. My God, we recognize that much has happened over these months in the pandemic and long before that, complacency was prevalent long before COVID stepped onto the scene. Some of us might find ourselves today ready to acknowledge that the wood in our spiritual life is wet and we just need a fresh touch from you. God, give them the courage to seek you. But most importantly, may they just seek after you with all of their heart we've just read in Jeremiah we will seek you and find you when we seek you with all of our heart all access pass how we pray for that in Christ's name amen as we stand to worship if you receive Christ let us know about it you can do that through texting Westgate to 94000 you can meet us at the sanctuary at the the exits you can also just grab someone next to you and say help me I want to be right with God for some of you that feel like you know I just I'm I'm there I want you to pray over us just start making your way to the front as we sing this song we will pray silently over you that God will light a new fire in your life so let's stand together and let's worship
1: marker, write a name, write a scripture verse. God bless you. Have a great week.